Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 29. It takes a village. It does take a village, yep. doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are talking today about raising them, raising them chillins, <laughs> uh, but specifically youth age. And we're talking about uh, how can we interact and, and disciple and walk alongside, journey alongside youth. Uh, LGBT youth well. And so we have a special guest alongside Matt Krieg, producer Steve. Do you guys want to say a little hello? Oh, hi. Hello, Matt. Howdy. (laughs) Uh, And we have our friend and uh, youth pastor, Ray Lowe. Ray, welcome. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me. Yeah. And you are a youth pastor where? I'm a youth pastor at Morningside United Methodist Church. It's in the Upper West Side of Manhattan, New York. Wow. So you, where do you live? I mean, that's always like the next question. If you're like, I'm in New York, I'm in the boroughs, the, I don't know all the things, the lingo. Where, where do you oh, live yeah. in relationship to this church? Yeah, I'm in the Upper West Side. So I actually found a pretty low cost apartment there. And um, I'm just in, you know, situated in Manhattan. Yeah. You know, yeah. Times Square is just a 20 minute subway right away from me. Wow. wow. So Ray, we met him uh, along with a lot of other um, friends who are on, I guess, the side B or the historically Christian uh, piece of the conversation when it comes to the LGBT conversation. We met him in Orlando last June uh, at the, the Memorial of the pulse shooting. So it was a sad situation, but we were just talking about how it's so fun to reunite uh, with with people like you and with Nate and with Greg um, in different locations. So we're so glad you're here and we're excited to talk about this youth pastor role when it comes to um, cultivating the hearts and in the minds and the spirits of LGBT youth and um, excited to hear some of your story with that as well. But you know, we don't ever have like one thing that we're passionate about. You know, we talk about the LGBT conversation. We talk about sexuality and marriage and oneness. But usually there's like another thing. And so as I'm studying James with some of my friends, okay, one friend, studying James with a friend <laughs> <laughs> early mornings, uh, we were talking about how like a true religion is to take care of orphans and widows. And I was like, mm. okay, so that's the vulnerable and the needy mm. and actual orphans and widows. So like, Who's your other thing? Like, who's your primary, like, oh, my heart, like, wrenches when I talk or, like, I focus on this group of people, but also this? Sure. Um, there there are a couple. Um, I think uh, one of the uh, big ones other than LGBT is uh, also comes from uh, my own uh, personal experience as an Asian American. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that um, is just very dominant in the Asian American experience is this idea of... Uh, uh, invisibility and mm. being silenced, um, especially because mm. Asians don't really have that really great of representation in the media. You know, it's either falls into this, you know, very uh, pigeonholed stereotype of right. the, the comedic relief or the exoticized, sexualized person, mm. um, you know, or even just the geek, you know, um, or the, the, the smart person or the model minority. Yeah. Um, just all these very limiting uh, uh, ways to think about the Asian American experience. Um, also plays a huge factor into the uh, development of Asian American youth mm. and their psychological uh, development as well. Yeah, um, yeah just really, uh, I'm just really passionate about uh, diversifying the Asian American experience and telling them that you can be um, something more than a scientist or um, mm. a mathematician, you know, or a doctor. Yeah, um, you can be in the arts, you can be in music, you can mm. be in ministry as well. Um, and so that's one of the other people groups I'm passionate about. I love it. So what, and maybe you just articulated it, but what would the dream look like? Like, so I'm hearing like essence of inclusion and diversity, but how, how, what would that look like? Like, what would be like where you'd kind of sigh and be like, yeah, this is, this is what it looks like. (laughs) Yeah. I would just love to see uh, Asian Americans just uh, thrive in every uh, part of our society. Um, it's so easy to think of them as the mi- model minority um, simply because we've been successful in areas of, uh, you know, science and uh, even just business. Yeah. Um, but because of that, you know, it's actually uh, very easy to limit Asian Americans and not give them, you know, roles in Hollywood or in the mm-hmm. arts, you know, or even their expression, their writing. 
Um, and so for a lot of Asian Americans, that actually can very much limit your, your experience, your expression. So if I yeah. saw, you know, even just like Hollywood uh, start to cast more Asian Americans, start to tell more Asian American stories, yeah. you know, um, see, see Asian Americans thrive in the, the arts and the music um, areas, that would just be uh, just so revitalizing because, you know, mm-hmm. art, art is meant to speak to people and it's supposed to tell a story to people. And so um, that would just tell me that the Asian American story is being told. I love it. Thank you for that. And that it's just, yeah. And I'm sure we'll talk about too, how the, that minority experience compounded with LGBT experience, I'm sure. um, Sure. Isn't uh, easy (laughs) for lack of a better term. So thank you. Anyone else? Oh man. Honestly, I, I, I do uh, really, really care about young people a lot, especially because I think about, um, you know, just the changes in the ways that we communicate and we relate to each other, um, especially with, you know, everything from technology uh, to politics, uh, you know, it has just affected the way that youths relate to each other and mm-hmm. they speak to each other. And um, I just uh, I just think about that, you know, each and every day as I as I struggle with these things myself, totally. uh, as I struggled not to be glued to my phone or to my computer screen <laughs> yeah. and <laughs> struggling to have very authentic and real relationships, mm-hmm. you know, where I can, uh, you know, uh, encourage other people um, in, in a more personal way and where I can disagree with people as well um, on, on the things that we might uh, have differences over but still love each other Absolutely. and not typecast each other into a certain ideology or political party or viewpoint you know Um, so that's one of the things i'm just very passionate about helping youths um reclaim what it means to communicate with one another and to find ways to exchange ideas and walk in greater understanding with one another love it love Mm -hmm. it how about you matt okay so obviously we're involved in the lgbt conversation and and as a counselor i'm involved in in sexuality in a wider stance um, and I feel that my, my passion more and more is becoming with, with more focused on marriages, mm. um, you know, taking two people who are fighting and, and just not communicating well um, and, and bringing them to a place of being able to make peace to, together and to actually start communicating in a, in a positive direction. Yeah. You, I am so amazed by your Enneagram nine-ness, which is the peacemaker and like how God has mm. made you able to step into highly tense situations and not even just marriages, but like people who are fighting, like hmm. even me when I can fight people, <laughs> you are like when I'm in a tense situation and you're so able to see both sides, it is such a gift. And so I will affirm and that. Sometimes and sometimes a curse. And sometimes a curse when I'm like, just take my side and be angry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Steve? What's your primary, like, oh, I'm passionate about this, but there's also this. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it is evolving. Yeah. Because uh, for a long time, it was marriages, you yeah. know, just our peers, people like us, you yeah. know, just in yeah. a similar stage of life uh-huh. and um, believers, you know, we are our small group leaders at our church. And so that's about as far as it has extended until just like recently, um, I got two in high school mm-hmm. and they just... And my older two who are out of high school had the same thing. Just a real heart for, I guess, fringe people, marginalized people, friends who kind of like don't really fit a certain mold. And I used to, with my older kids, sort of not like it when they brought them around, if I'm honest. (laughs) Like, I didn't really express that, but I was kind of like, I got my eye on you, you know, like that. (laughs) And um, I'm finding, I don't know, like God's really doing a work in me and I am... uh, kind of right along with my kids having a heart for these friends of theirs um, and just being like, come on in inclusive. Uh, Your situation might not be ideal. Ours is certainly not perfect, but we're going to be an environment of love and acceptance here. Yeah. You know, and um, I don't know. God's just really blessing it right now. And I think it is, I don't know, just like me and my kids are feeding off each other in how we're, sort of like really caring for these friends of theirs. So that's just sort of a new, a a relatively new thing for, for me. That's amazing. Yeah. I, uh, obviously the primary is often LGBT in the sexuality conversation. And then even to the, like people who've gone through like childhood sexual abuse or trauma and um, walking with people, 
But I find I cannot stop saying like you matter and you belong to like everyone. Mm. And so I think mm. it's more like even it's kind of the fringe people in general is I, I just, I could cry about it, but I just see people and I'm like, you are so necessary to the kingdom. So however that looks like just people who just feel like the outcasts in the marginalized for whatever reason. And I, and, and I don't even like want them to like sit there in their marginalization or victimness. I'm like, please. Like I just, I so see in moments and in breaths where I'm like the kingdom of God is advancing. And it's not just like that. There's a few select people who are supposed to be a part of this, but it's like, we need you. Mm-hmm. And so I think in general, I just can't stop saying that. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's, it's kind of the same sort of just marginalized in general where I'm like, oh, if we could look in a mirror and know how loved we are, we'd want to like mm-hmm. get up and, and join in the battle mm-hmm. um, with love. Okay, so now we're taking, we're going to Goofball Island, which, Ray, if you haven't listened to our podcast, this is when we take a vacation from our problems on purpose because, I mean, we talk real serious around here. Uh, (laughs) So we usually take a different vehicle every time, and this time we're just going to take our regular old legs on to the recess field, Matt, tarmac. The blacktop? Blacktop. (laughs) Grass. <laughs> uh, and so, okay, what was your role in like elementary-ish age before things usually get terrible in middle school? But like, what was your like role on the playground? And like, was there like a sport you dominated or like a, I'll, I'll just go first. I was pretty awesome, like baller status at not basketball, even though I am giant and tall. Hmm. I did the jump rope. And you know when you have to do like the crossovers and like, I mean, I could just do those all day long. <laughs> also, I was bad, a bad kid, even in fourth grade. And so mm-hmm. I was the kid who's like, let's play dare. And I would um, encourage lots of bad things. Uh, I wouldn't do them, but I would dare people to do all sorts of terrible things. <laughs> what else do I need to confess? I think this is just going to be a confessional. <laughs> That's right. About the same time I uh, started my gang <laughs> which was not really a gang, but we, um, where I like had a secret code name. And you wrote in your journal I about it journal. at the end of every day, like yeah. Doug Funny, which we talked about last time. Doug last Funny, time. yes, from the show Doug. And I remember my code name. <laughs> Should I tell him what my code name was? I'm shaking my head in dismay. <laughs> I, okay, I found my journals a few years ago, and it was like, Dear Journal, this is my code name. And it was L69. And I did not know what that phrase meant. <laughs> but that was like such a disaster. Oh, poor Face Lori. Palm. I feel oh, real no. sad for her right now. But anyway, I made kids do bad things. So there's You probably that. had a sense of the symmetry and the sort of yin-yang yes, look. that was all of it us. was. That's all it was? That's all it was, guys. Yeah. Don't mm-hmm. worry about it. In elementary school, that I hope that's all it was. Right. Sure. Because that would yeah. be way, way too, way too. Oh, early. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, I was definitely not you. Um, I was like the fly fly under the radar kid. Um, I, I could secretly do like hold my own at Foursquare. Um, but, but I was also the kid who every once in a while would just kind of stay inside to, to do my advanced classes and build like build toothpick bridges and (laughs) and have that kind of stuff going on. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I'm, I, I, I was a nerd. And when I say was, I do mean currently still am. (laughs) So that role has not changed. I I definitely nerd out in more ways than one. So wait, like the toothpick bridges where you like glue them together and you try and have someone like stand on them. So they stay. Well, for for us, it was there was a bucket and they would put pennies Uh like wads of, you know, rolls of pennies in and they would weigh it to see Uh how much it would hold. Yeah. Um, and so that was that was one of the things that I definitely remember spending wow. a lot of time on. I just see and your so, brain right now being like, okay, so if I did this differently. Oh, the, the I have grade. altered <laughs> altered that bridge so many times in my head. <laughs> oh, um, you once our daughters are old enough, you're gonna see see a lot of toothpicks <laughs> happening in our house. Oh my word! How about you, Ray? Yeah, I'm thinking about elementary school. I. I think middle school is a little bit more um, vivid for me, but elementary school, I do remember one thing. One thing that I was known for, um, 
because like elementary school was a little bit of a rough time for me mm. you know i was kind of an asian american living in the suburbs of illinois so mm. um there's still you know a lot of you know teasing and racism rampant back then so you know a lot of people would kind of uh really pick on that part of me um mm. but uh i think i just remember uh, very vividly um that i used to fight back um mm. You know, I would I used to fight back against bullies, but there's a catch there because uh, when I said I fought back, it's not that I was throwing kicks and punches or anything like that. You know, because that those like those all come down to you know how strong you are, you know, and right. how how well you can you know land your kicks and punches, right? And you know, it's a very objective thing, right? Um, well, how I fought back was actually by spitting. Oh. Um, <laughs> I spit at them, and I got really good at it um, because because it was just such a a. a, a just uh, an outlandish and unexpected way to just fight back. It would horrify them. It would just horrify everybody Aww. and just stop them in your, their tracks. You know, you can always dodge kicks, you can always dodge punches, and you can always win fights and stuff like that. But when somebody spits at you, like you just don't know what to do. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I, I got in trouble a lot for that. You know, I had to be sent to like the teachers and stuff like that because, you know, because oh. apparently, you know, you, people are allowed to punch each other right. but god forbid they spit each other oh my word well, wow sp- spitting carries germs you know <laughs> punches are friendly hey matt yeah whatever works <laughs> it's true that's you know right. all's yeah, fair right. and love and war in elementary school <laughs> fight. it was survival right. yeah. oh, yes, exactly. seriously oh man wow oh hmm. steve uh okay so I was never an athlete of any kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes there was, you know, the pickup basketball game or even like the parking lot soccer game. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, Steve is the goalpost. You know, you stand here and then this other little like <laughs> kindergarten girl stand there and you're the good. Uh, so, so there was that. But there were two games at which I excelled. And I don't know why. Uh, one was Red Rover. If yeah. you remember Red well, Rover. Well, it's basically like being a post. Well, yes, or breaking through <laughs> or the breaking. wall. Yes, there yes. you go. And uh, then the other was: Has anybody ever heard of Hill or Dale? Uh, yeah, no. no, no. Okay, so I'll try to set this up real quick. Uh, the easy way to describe it is: Everybody's on one side of this field, okay, except for one person who's it, who stands in the middle of this field, and everybody has to, on the count of three, whatever, run from one end to the other, and the it has to tag whoever okay. he can. Oh. This is like can. sharks and minnows outside okay. the pool. Yeah. I've heard it gone by a couple different names. Yeah. So then everybody who gets tagged is now it. Mm -hmm. And so there's more people trying to tag fewer people. And somehow I was always able to fly under the radar like Mm -hmm. you, Matt. And I was like the last guy until they started noticing. They were like targeting me. (laughs) Your face Mm. right now. You're like, your eyes are all bugging out. And I just see you being like, I was all, I just, you're back there. (laughs) Glory days. Glory days. If only, if only you could have gotten a letter jacket. For for (laughs) Red Rover. H-N-D. Hillendale. Hillerdale. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> love it. I love Goofball Island. It just makes me happy every time. All right. Well, we are shifting to what we call the heart of the matter. And Ray, you shared some of your experience um, with, you know, some elementary and, and just as an Asian American. But I just would love to hear, because the purpose of this podcast is to show how the gospel is good news for everybody every day. How was the gospel first good news for you? And how is it now still good news? I think a huge part of my story really came uh, when I entered, you know, late middle school. And I was kind of uh, starting to have more questions about the world, start to have more questions about religion, and also have more questions about sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was around that time that I was beginning to realize for myself that I um, didn't experience attraction towards the opposite gender. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when I kind of realized that, suddenly there was another thing that kind of made me different from other people. Oh. Um, and so the ironic part is that, you know, whereas most people like me would stay far away from the church because the church back then was kind of the place to point to when it came to homophobia and transphobia. Right. Um, I actually started going um, huh. because uh, I, I had questions. You know, I, I wanted to understand why. I wanted to understand why this God, um, this loving God would produce such hateful people. And I just wanted to, you know, really understand what uh, religion was, you know, in light of uh, thoughts on faith and sexuality and stuff like that too so hang on a second that's so wait okay so people were hateful to you and you're like i want to know more about this god 
that made these hateful people like you That's looked right. above them that it was it was me kind of trying to figure out uh, uh what how it made sense you know because yeah. i think i've always been the kind of person that was like if something doesn't make sense i'm gonna pursue it until it makes sense to me that um, is commendable and so, as yeah. A kid. yeah thanks yeah. <laughs> yeah and so you know once i actually started going to church and thankfully the church uh you know wasn't uh the stereotype of, you know, just being very close-minded and hateful, that the church was actually a very uh, open and loving family. Um, and mm. I, I know back then it still had its issues with sexuality, but uh, once I started going to youth group, I just saw just a different kind of community. Um, I saw people who came together for a common purpose, mm. people who, uh, you know, spent time on their weekends to come together because they wanted to be there, not because they're thrown mm. together for eight hours a day in school, you know? So I just saw a different kind of community that um, had a very, uh, uh, a very different kind of purpose. Mm. And so that's when, you know, that's when the gospel started to make sense to me when it really, uh, when I started to experience this kind of love that extends beyond family, it extends beyond even just friendships and relationships um, it was something that was more lasting, something that was uh, yeah, more eternal. Um, and that's where I started to experience God for the first time and learn about him and really feel his, his presence at my church and within wow. my youth group. That is hmm. so cool because it sounds like school was obviously this place of pain if it continued with the you know the spitting like that that was a tough bullying <laughs> scenario where you were just trying to survive and so then you go to church and instead of finding this hate you're finding genuine community and oneness like what we talk about often on this podcast absolutely so what how did that um i know we talked last summer when we were working on our caring well conference just about like your experience with your youth group. And, um, can you talk a little bit more about, um, and, and again, I want to hear your now too, about how the gospel is still good news and we'll get there, but just mm -hmm. like what was helpful in your youth pastor and in your youth group that like, as you yeah. were in your wrestling with these, and especially back then, this like seemingly shameful and like painful place, like what was it there that was actually a place where you could thrive? Yeah, so I, th I I think a huge part of what I experienced at youth group was attributed to the youth pastor who led it yeah. at the time. Um, he was just such a personable person. Um, he was so relational. Uh, he was so loving and so caring mm -hmm. um, towards each and every one of the students that he had to lead. Um, what and, did that you know, he had, look like? Like, what did relational and caring and yeah. like cared about look like? Definitely. So he, um, you know, he he was a, the kind of person that treated uh, youth as um, adults. Um, you know, mm -hmm. as 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 growing, uh, obviously, and as people who um, had a lot of things to overcome. But he he would treat people like people. Mm -hmm. um, he would treat people like he 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 had this his calling to to uh, to really form a faith identity within each and every one of us. Mm -hmm. And what that looked like was uh, giving us that kind of space to, to wrestle with hmm. with religion, with uh, issues of science, which was really popular back then and still hmm. is, and issues of sexuality, whatever it might be, he gave us that space to wrestle with it. And he would walk alongside each and every one of us as we would hmm. wrestle with it um, in just such a very personal way. Um, I just remember he would always take time to spend with us uh, during the week. He would, uh, he, I remember he would even, you know, I, I remember I asked him one time to, teach me how to play tennis, you know, and he would take the time for that too. I was, I was terrible at it, you know, and I feel bad for wasting his time, but, um, he, I just, you know, I, I just remember a youth pastor who would really share his life with us and allow us to take part in his life as well. Um, and so that was kind of the, the, the picture and the image that I had as I started to go to youth group, even before I started sharing about my sexuality. That's so he, he treated you like, like, miniature adults like and not just in like oh you guys are cute but like i see where god is leading this i know you're going to be a grown-up soon mm -hmm. and so let's yeah. cultivate that and he gave you space to be messy just trying to like recap and then he also he it's like he he um he blended the blurred the lines between like this is church time this is youth group time he's like i actually want to be involved in your real life is that accurate 
Yeah, definitely. And another thing is that he um, he gave us leadership opportunities too. I think one of the things that you know really really helps a youth develop a sense of faith identity, but also um, a leadership identity is just give them opportunities to lead, um, whether it's Bible studies or teaching times yeah. or worship. Um, yeah, we had a pretty solid uh, team of adult counselors, but the youth were the ones who really thrived in the ministry. And I thought that was just so great of him to do as well. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so just something that's kind of jogging in my brain, because a lot of times, you know, the, the youth pastor um, has to have a, a pretty, you know, a, a pretty consistent relationship with the parents. Um, and, and I feel like it's, it, it seems like fairly often the, the fears of the parents can become um, something that the youth pastor latches onto and then doesn't allow kids to, to really wrestle well. Um, and so I'm, I, I guess I'm just interested in, you know, if your youth pastor had this, this really open stance about letting you wrestle, letting you, um, you know, kind of transition into adulthood, um, what, what was it like? How did he build rapport with your parents or with the, the parents of the, the other kids? Because like he had to have gotten a lot of flack and a lot of parents just wanting sure. like him to, to, to talk and, and fix all their kids problems yeah. and, and everything. <laughs> Tell them what's right. Yeah. Yeah. Tell definitely. I think, <laughs> I think, it, yeah, that was actually even probably more prominent at our church. Um, especially because, um, a lot of, uh, the people in our youth group uh, grew up in very, uh, very high expectation Asian American households. Mm. So mm. a lot of their parents, um, even though they were letting them go to youth group and church, um, uh, you know, during the rest of the week, it was all about, you know, your studies, all mm. about your extracurricular activities, all about everything that's working towards getting a good in, into a good college, getting into a good college and, you know, having a great, you know, up application and be able to write great essays. So mm. it was just a very success-driven culture. Mm. And I think uh, his ability to navigate as a youth pastor, um, this importance, you know, and just just the importance and the, the, the essentiality of uh, developing a faith identity within each and every young person. I thought that was just, um, that's something that I'm still trying to figure out right now, you know, mm. um, uh, you know, just his ability to really emphasize to parents how important it was that they allow their kids to develop their wow. faith identity as much as their academic identity, as as much as their career identity. Mm. Mm. That's like a stumper. I just like need to think <laughs> yeah. about that because that that would take some massive skill in navigation. Yeah. Wow. Definitely. So what then you said as you started wrestling with your own sexuality so what's what was that journey for you, and how did that lead you to, I guess, the place you are in now? Right. So, uh, you know, as I was starting to go to church and learning more about who God and Jesus were and really uh, finding them attractive um, in my own life and people that I did want to, to follow, I was also um, still wrestling with questions of faith and sexuality. And mm -hmm. at the time, I hadn't come out to anybody yet. I hadn't told a single uh, human living person about uh, who I was um, and what I was wrestling with. And so um, it was just a very scary time. You know, imagine just uh, finding this place where you're finally uh, not bullied and not uh, uh, belittled for your race um, mm -hmm. uh, and just being so scared that, you know, with with one revelation that could take it all away, you know, that could change mm -hmm. all your friendships, all your relationships that you've built at this church. Mm -hmm. And so I lived in a lot of fear for a long time, especially knowing how Christians uh, would behave and think about this issue. You know, I knew that um, it would very well put a wedge between me and the rest of the youth group. How did you ironic know that? Like, did you hear people? Like, was it just the tone that was talked about? Like, how did you know right. it wasn't safe? You know, it's um, it, with every youth group, I think it's, uh, it, it definitely reflects in the way that the teenagers talk to each other and um, also the way that kind of the broader church We'll talk about the issue yeah. too. Um, yeah. So, it being an Asian American conservative immigrant church, it was very much that sexuality was taboo and under the table. Yeah. Um, you know, you didn't talk about it, and it was just very dismissive. Yeah. I actually do remember. Um, I have a very faint memory of when we had. I think it was a tough questions panel or something like that. We had like people brought in to talk about science and um, you know suffering and whatever else like um, 
the apologetics people love. And mm-hmm. I remember um, that uh, there was a question and answer session, right? Like you could ask uh, whatever tough questions. And one of my friends, he actually asked the question about sexuality, mm-hmm. right? And it was like, oh, like, what would you uh, say about the difficult question of LGBT Christians and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. And I just, I remember the, the the response because it was so short. It was, it was simply don't, mm-hmm. just don't. Um, and I was, I was like, like, I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> There's th- th- that's it. You know, that's all you have to say about that co- conversation about that very, very difficult question. And so that was just kind of, you know, my, um, you know, what I, how I knew that it was just a very difficult thing to talk about. Cause Absolutely. if the leaders we brought in weren't able to talk about it, then how are the kids supposed to, you know? Mm. Um, and like, yeah. don't what don't, don't feel that don't <laughs> exactly right just just, just don't, don't. <laughs> say no to drugs yeah 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 exactly okay um, yeah back then also there was stuff like you know like you know gay slurs and stuff like that yeah. you know yeah. it was still derogatory to call things gay um yeah so you know some of the teenagers would use that kind of language as yeah. well and that kind of gave me an idea of their idea of this issue absolutely yeah. so before i jumped in and, and interrupted you you were about to talk about just like your relationship to God in that season as you were wrestling silently and alone. Sure. Because I think the um, ironic part is that, um, then this is the fear that we all live with as LGBT youth is that we don't want this part of our lives to come out because it would drive a wedge between us and the other teenagers at our church. Right. Mm. But the very struggle itself is already chipping away and driving a wedge between us each and every day that we can't share our authentic selves with other people. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I, I, and I think that was just what I was living with for a long time. Uh, as close as I got to the other brothers and sisters at the church, there was this one part of me that I couldn't share with them. Mm. And that, that, that chipped away at me every single day, you know, that hurt me every single day that I couldn't share with them this one part of myself and I mm. couldn't be my most authentic self to them mm-hmm. and that's what really caused that tension that um eventually boiled to the surface when i did uh share with them uh that i was gay um at a camping trip retreat you know mm-hmm. that we I, that I went on with my youth group How um, did it shake down yeah i can i can talk a little bit about that night um uh, i just remember it was a it was a camping trip um and there was a campfire time um very similar to a testimony night, which is so, so common mm-hmm. in youth groups. Those, you probably know what I'm talking about. Anybody oh, yeah. who's been in a youth group, you know, <laughs> where you just have the kind of open mic free for all sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go up and talk about anything you want. And I always thought it was so lame and petty, you know, the, the things that people would share, um, you know, just about the, all the, all the dumb problems in their lives. But, mm-hmm. um, I just remember, um, it was that night, you know, you know that, um, you know, I, I remember it was a very different experience for me because uh, there was this guy in my youth group um, who was kind of every um, vision of, you know, what every guy wanted to be. He was tall, he was athletic, he was outgoing, um, and he was uh, he did pretty well in school as well. So um, he, you know, he was the kind of the guy that everybody wanted to be. He was this definition of mas- masculinity. Mm. Um, and I just remember uh, thinking about that um, for a long time um, until that very night where he stood up and, you know, he walked up to the campfire and he shared about his father who was struggling with cancer mm. um, and eventually passed away from it as well. And I just remember, you know, this, 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 this guy that everybody wants to be like, this guy who is supposed to have it all together, um, being able to share so openly and mm. vulnerably, mm. Um, being able to cry in front of us. Um, mm. And I just remember all my misconceptions about masculinity just 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 tumbled to the ground um, and were shaken mm-hmm. to the core. I realized that you can be a man and you can be open. You can be a man and you can be vulnerable. You can mm-hmm. be a man and you can cry in front of other people. Yeah. And so that was something that moved me and shook me to the core that night at the camera trip. Mm-hmm. And I attribute that a lot of that to the reason why I was able to share about my own struggle with sexuality wow. um, that night and I just remember talking about I, I I remember sharing that that the person standing before you is gay and I don't know what to do with it but I just need a lot of help and encouragement mm-hmm. I remember before I had even stopped talking people were already coming up to me and they were hugging me um, what? there was a lot of crying that night and they were embracing me and telling me that you know it was going to be okay and that they were going to walk with me in this and that they were going to, to be there for me you know, no matter what happened and it was just a very beautiful beautiful night 
Wow. Um, mm. Yeah. So that is like usually the opposite that you hear in like stories is it's like this terrible experience. And so I'm so impressed with your church and just obviously the cultivation that that youth pastor did in creating a culture of kindness and of welcome. Yeah. Like you can actually share anything. It's not just the quote unquote easy stuff. It's the right. tough stuff that you're like, this is going to drive a wedge. Mm-hmm. So how, I guess like, having these seeds planted, like, where did you go from there? Um, like, yeah. And yeah, obviously like you're giving back, like you're back in the role, like that was poured into you. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think a huge part of that is what came after my sharing, because, um, that's, I think where my youth pastor really, really had to step up and that's where he really did step up and show me, you know, just what a great, person he really was Mm. because after you know these kinds of beautiful and very emotional nights um you know life's not a fairy tale (laughs) and and teenagers are teenagers so um i won't say that they handled the issue in the best way possible Mm. i lost a lot of friendships because of it um Mm. i did you know i kind of every fear that i had um was confirmed you know Mm. in in the way that people treated me Mm. and so i just had a lot of you know um hurt and pain to deal with, um, for the rest of my time in youth group and for the rest of my time in high school. Mm. Um, but again, that's really where my youth pastor stepped up because, um, he, I think even within himself, he was resolving to not let this issue, um, take the precedence of his discipleship within me. Mm. Um, he treated me like every other person that he was trying to nourish and cultivate a faith identity in, mm. um, he would reach. He would reach out to me. He would uh, read the Bible with me. He would teach me how to pray, what it means to surrender to God, um, how to experience intimacy with God. Mm. Um, and it's something that took a really long time. If it seems like it's something that you know will take days and seasons, you know, it's because it is. You know, if it's uh, if it sounds like it's something you can't do from the pulpit, you know, or from sharing a Facebook post, it's because it isn't, you know, um, mm. it's something that takes a long time. Yeah. And he really took that time for me. And the best part was that, um, especially with changing culture um, and changing perspectives on issues of sexuality and stuff like that, he never tried to impose his view on me either. Um, mm. I knew that he was uh, conservative and he was he took the historically Christian view on uh, sexuality, but I never once remember him quoting any passage of scripture to me um, that had anything to do with homosexuality. Um, mm. He never quoted those clobber verses to me. Um, right. And he never tried to make sure that I believed what he believed on the issue. You know, wow. because that's I think he knew within himself that that that's not something that works. Um, it's it, it's not up to you to mm-hmm. make sure other people believe what you believe, but it's up to you to really help people um, nourish their own faith identity and seek out the answers for themselves and to yeah. surrender to God, um, no matter how difficult the answer might be. And that's really what he did for me. Um, And I think that's what's really the definition of a pastor when it comes down to it. Um, There's a lot of talk about identity these days. Um, And I think one of the definitions of being a pastor is just helping people find their identity in Christ. Um, It's so easy to find our identity in all kinds of things, whether it's our grades, um, whether it's in our careers um, or our family or our relationships. Um, But you know, the work of a pastor and the job of a pastor is to help people um, shift their focus um, from placing their, their inherent worth and the sense of happiness and sense of um, sense of joy from these things on earth and instead finding them in Jesus Christ. And mm. I think that he really did that for me, even as I was a teenager. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's just a huge part. That, and, and that's a huge part of why I want to be a youth pastor now and what mm. I want to give back, like you said, to, to the world and to, to especially the struggling youth of this generation where um, it is so easy to, um, to find our own identities, um, to, to have the difficult work of trying to define our own identities. Um, I don't know if people realize how scary that is because yeah. um, I don't trust myself to figure out who I am. <laughs> right. I don't trust myself to define who I am. You know, I'm a broken, emotional and uh, feelings driven person, you know, and, you know, if it were up to me, it nothing that I come up with um, about my identity would be permanent um, or would be lasting. Mm. Um, and I think that's really why, um, you know, that's really why the Bible really teaches that um, Jesus Christ is our solid rock and our foundation because he is the person that we can um, build our houses on. And 
they're not gonna they're, they're not gonna be washed away they're not gonna be blown away do you think that your perception of identity is even greater underscored because you like you said you have like a dual minority experience like do you mm. think that that has almost i don't know just the suffering that you've endured in like walking through these experiences like it's almost made jesus shine brighter like sure that identity with him do you think that that's played a role or and how if so i think so because um more than ever we can see kind of uh the world uh both encouraging people to define their own identities but also defining people's identities for them mm-hmm. um and i think actually asian americans find that to be so true um mm-hmm. for themselves because the world has this definition of what an asian american is like um that they're supposed to be really smart you know or that they're supposed to be really successful in science and business you know yeah. and you know when the world kind of pigeonholes you into that uh that kind of stereotype uh, that's when Asian Americans suffer the most. Um, that's when the psychologically it's it's so damaging to Asian Americans, um, and it's also um, something that affects society at the systematic level as well, because the same people who are placing these stereotypes on Asian Americans um, are also the same people um, who you know uh, who oppress Black people every day. You know, mm-hmm. the same people who um, you know who are are continuing these systems of racism that will continue to oppress racial minorities as well. So. As long as we even just uh, allow for people to be typecasted, people to be pigeonholed, um, I think that's just a very, very um, it's it's gonna it's gonna be a very harmful thing for this question and, and this conversation about identity. Absolutely. Oh, God help us to see as you see. That's like just like my cry as you're talking, like just because as Paul, he's like, there's no longer slave or free. Mm-hmm. It's all all are in Christ. And so it's just so, cause it's sometimes, you know, I run into people who are like, I don't know what I don't know. Like, I don't even know mm. when like I'm oppressing people. I don't even know when sure. I'm saying sentences that are hurtful. So yeah. I guess for the youth pastor who is maybe listening and it's like, I don't know what I don't know. And I really, I know that my students, they're wrestling with their identity, their sexual yeah. identity, just their identity, identity, like how, what would you say would be one thing that they could do today to lean into, um, I guess, just really cultivating that identity in Christ, no matter mm. how they identify, no matter wh- what their age, race, et cetera? Like, what would be one thing they could do today? I think um, even just uh, let your ministry extend beyond your Sundays um, and beyond your youth programs, even just the, the times that your youth program might meet. Um, yeah. on Saturday nights or Friday nights. Um, I think for a lot of youth pastors that I've talked with, um, especially I, as I've been starting my ministry, um, every single conversation that I've had with them, the recurring thing has been to just focus on the relationships, um, focus on building relationships with your kids um, and allowing that to extend beyond your ministry during Sundays or Saturday nights or Friday nights. Yeah. Um, and that's really encouraged me. Um, I've been doing things like having dinner with the families, having dinner with the kids, and really just getting to know um, what their values are, um, how they communicate with each other in this day and age, um, what they think about in this day and age, um, and how they also see themselves, um, you know, with all the questions in society about identity, about um, your ideologies, and about um, even just your jobs and your careers as well. Um, I think, you know, when a pastor can really reach out to a person during the week, um, and to give their life and to lay down their lives for them during the week. Uh, I think that's just a, a, a beautiful thing. Um, yeah. and something that I'm trying to do for my kids as well. Love it. I, I've been trying to mull through because, you know, when you were talking about the, the dual minority mm. identity, um, and, and coming from someone who is, who is really never outside of the, you know, when we were in Orlando has, has never been a, like a minority in, in really any group. For me, it's a, it's a very other concept. It's not something that I've ever personally experienced to have, like the either a racial profile of myself or a you know a a stereotype of myself based on on my sexuality. Um, as we move forward, and the church becomes less and less of a prevalent part of society, mm. um, do you think that? the Christian identity will, will become one of the, one of the minority identities almost not, not in the same 
same exact stance, but do you think there would, is there any overlap hmm. between a, a Christian identity in a, in a, in a largely more and more, you know, post-Christian culture, hmm. um, you know, where, where people will be stereotyping the church and saying, you know, I thinking they know you when they really don't. Hmm. Yeah. And that's, uh, um, I think that's one of the the challenges that is facing the church moving forward is that um, how are we going to remain uh, relevant um, and not just relevant in the sense that we are conforming to every aspect of culture so as to try to be attractive, but how we continue to let the gospel speak to society. Um, and I just, uh, I just feel like time and time again, um, you know, uh, the, the, the one thing that I, I think has just been such a useful concept is just this concept of listening, um, this concept of incarnational ministry, hmm. um, really stepping from your world into another person's world. Hmm. Um, and the beautiful thing about that is that you can do that whether you're a majority or a minority. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea of cross-cultural ministry is something that's not limited to just overseas ministry, but it's really about stepping from one culture mm-hmm. into another, just mm-hmm. like Jesus stepped from you know, his heavenly place um, into our world. Um, and he became flesh and he lived amongst us. And I think that's just a, such a beautiful picture um, of what it means to, um, to have a faith identity. To be, to be a Christian is to really be willing to step from your world into another person's world, um, mm-hmm. to listen to their values, to listen to their fears, their faults, um, to love them even in the disagreements, um, love them even in the differences as well. And um, actually, you know, I, one of my hopes is that, you know, especially as society becomes increasingly divided, increasingly polarized, um, where people don't listen to each other and where it's easy to typecast each other based on your political ideology or your race, you know, um, or even just your activities or your jobs or your career. Um, I just hope that more people will, uh, will, will be able to stand up and say, hey, there's a way for us to understand each other and there's a way for us to listen to each other uh, without having to stereotype each other, without um, having to, you know, uh, place our prejudices on each other. There's a way to create space for people's voices and for for people's stories. Um, And I think actually one of the ways in which the church um, is called to do that, you know, especially in the next few years is with the LGBT conversation. If the church fails to allow for the LGBT community to have a voice and to share their stories within the church space, then I just, I I, am confident that the church will lose its relevance and will lose its majority um, influence and culture. Um, And that would just be a very sad thing because, um, you know, it it would render the church obsolete, you know, in America. Yeah. I love what you're saying. Like, as far as this incarnational ministry piece and like how like even that practical piece like get involved in your students lives so just as we're Mm. thinking about the youth pastors and people listening people who are in you know like steve you're talking about just like working with your kids and their kids like how can we get cross the the barriers and get inside their shoes and like open up this place and so really Mm. again we just we're pretty obsessed with oneness around here in the john 17 sense of like how can we as a church be one which is really like Mm. get in each other's lives let's let's have that be a part of the church and so even then to go even back to your question matt of like if you know, if we become the minority as a capital C church, like we will at least be strong because we will be one. So mm-hmm. even if we are the minority as Christians and as faithful believers, at least we will be like linked arms and like, you're my brother, you're my sister. So mm-hmm. let's lean into this, um, this, this world in this space as one, as opposed to this divisive place. Mm-hmm. And so I love that. And thank you for unifying that for us today, Ray. I really appreciate it. We, um, I don't know, I learned a lot and I'm really glad that we talked yeah. even mm-hmm. beyond just the the youth ministry piece, but also, and I was hoping we would do this to talk about the the racial um, reconciliation alongside yeah. the, the, the LGBT conversation. So just sure. thank you for that. We've- Can I add one yeah. more thing to the racial thing actually? Yeah, please. Um, yeah, we've been talking a lot about, you know, how, uh, you know, Asian Americans can, uh, are often silenced and, you know, not given their voice and their stories and stuff yeah. like that. Um, I just want to spin a, um, give a, a note of, uh, positive and hopefully hopeful, um, uh, contribution is that, um, you know, a lot of people, uh, ask me, 
what as an Asian American uh, do you think uh, your culture can contribute to this ongoing conversation, whether it's whether it's society or church or mm. race or sexuality, you know? Um, and I just noticed, especially with the LGBT conversation, and especially with a lot of, you know, very uh, gifted speakers and prominent speakers on mm. this issue, is that a lot of the conversation has to so much do with, you know, how can you personally uh, overcome this struggle with sexuality? Or how can mm. you personally, you know, have a strong and intimate relationship with God? Or how can you personally resist mm. your temptations and your feelings, right? Mm. And it's just a very, uh, a very individualized um, yeah. uh, very view western on sexuality. Idea. It's a very, it's a very Western yep. uh, way of thinking, if, if you will. Yep. And that's why I actually uh, appreciate my Asian American background is because, you know, the Eastern culture is very collectivistic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yes. very much yeah. about how um, how does the society as a whole uh, reflect on the individual person? How does an individual person also surrender themselves to the good of society as well? Mm. Um, and I just think that's find so many parallels when it comes to sexuality. Um, the church as a whole, you know, is very intimately involved in somebody's sexuality um, is what I believe. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, like our struggle with sexuality um, you know, whether it's with uh, same-sex attraction or even with the, just our relationships with each other as mm-hmm. brothers and sisters, um, the church is intimately involved in that, you know, and it's up to the church actually to provide uh, spaces for people to wrestle, um, spaces for people to find strong and, 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 and encouraging brotherly and sisterly relationships mm-hmm. and also just places for people to, to, to live out that unity like you've been talking about. Yes. And mm-hmm. the, 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 the tragedy I see is that the church has failed so much in this aspect. Yeah. Um, not just in the way that it's treated LGBT people, but the church is terrible at talking about issues of uh, child abuse or issues of uh, or women's issues, you know, empowering women and um, or domestic abuse and stuff like that. And I just, um, yeah, it just breaks my heart. And I just mm. um, hope that, you know, the church in America can start to see the ways in which um, how our institutions as a whole are really and intimately involved in a person's sexual identity and also faith identity and in, in development as a person. So, um, yeah, that's something that, yeah, thank you so much for letting me share that as an Asian American. You know, I think that's something that has just been very passionate, something I've been Mm -hmm. reflecting on. Thank you for interrupting me in order to say that because that was like (laughs) a home run. So thank you. And yeah, just Lord forgive us when we have been so individualistic and Mm -hmm. Mm self-focused and help us to be one. So thank you, Ray, again, for being here and being with us um, and being one with us on the microphone, even though we are in different places. And um, I'm not going to forget this time, the question of the week for next week. Uh, We are going to be talking actually with a a woman. We're going to be talking about women and wrestling with lust. And that's like another just area that can be just full of shame is just, hey, we wrestle with lust too. And so how does that look as far as... um, as we as a church coming alongside women in particular wrestling with it. And so our question of the week is how we talk about calling. We talk about purpose a lot. And have you ever said, God, I'm never going to do blank, 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 whatever it is. And mm. then all of a sudden you're doing it. <laughs> so mm. we'll talk about that. I'm guessing everyone in this room already is nodding their head. Mm, yep. And uh, so we'll talk about that a little bit next week for those moments. And we're like, never, ever. And then God's like, exactly that. All right. So, Ray, thank you again, Matt, producer Steve, um, for all of us here at the Whole In My Heart podcast. We will see you next week. Thank you for listening to uh, Matt and Lori Krieg and, of course, our special guest, Ray Lowe, today on the Whole In My Heart podcast. And thank you for sharing this podcast with your friends. Uh, If you haven't subscribed, you can do so in Apple Podcasts and Google Play. There are links on the uh, podcast page at himhministries.com. And once you've subscribed, we really appreciate those favorable ratings and reviews. That really helps us reach even more listeners. And, of course, there's more than just podcasts to find at himhministries.com. We'll see you next week. (laughs) 